Thank you, those bells were beautiful. Hear these words from the psalmist. O come, let us sing to joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Amen. What a privilege we have to be here this morning on February 12th, 2023. And I want to give a special shout out to a few people. Uh, you know we have a number of, of uh, members who have served faithfully here and cannot come anymore. And I told them I'd give a shout out. So if you're watching on YouTube now, are you going to be watching? I want to give a shout out to Bill and Ruth, Jenny, Flo, uh, Ann, Charles, Larry and Mary, Phyllis. We give you a shout out. We're praying for you. We love you. And we're glad you're joining us in worship. Also, our volunteer highlight. Today, I want to highlight and thank the trustees. You have no idea, unless you've been a trustee, the responsibility and the work that has to be done being a trustee. If you are or have served as a trustee, would you please just stand? I know you don't like the publicity, but would you? So we can thank you. Thank these people. They, this is hard to... It is tough, and we thank you for that. Today is Mission Sunday, and there'll be a coin box coming through uh, at, uh, during the children's sermon, and you'll see in the bulletin in your announcements what that is for. Uh, the other announcements are right here in the bulletin. You can read, but the one I want to highlight, uh, Julie has some more letters if you would like to send to students, and she'll hand those out during the... Um, uh, children's sermon, right? Or sometime in that way. All right. We're glad you're here. We believe we're not here by accident. We believe this is not just a human event, but it is an event that is infused by the Holy Spirit. And we're here to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we need every moment of every day. Amen. Please stand for the call to worship. It is printed in your bulletin. Come, walk in the way that leads to light. Come, choose to live a genuine life. Come, walk in the way Christ invites us to travel. We give thanks for Christ's way and for the freedom to follow. And now if you'll join in our opening hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, it's found in your hymn number 64.
may be seated. And please join me in our opening prayer uh, that is printed in the bulletin. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to your love in our midst. We give you thanks for the power of our minds to choose right over wrong. Guide us now that this power may not overwhelm us, but inspire us to love others as you have loved us. Help us choose compassion for ourselves and others. Teach us to set aside old resentments and grudges. Lift us with all earth's children and all your creation to aspire to the abundant life Christ brings. Amen. And if the children will come forward, and as they're coming forward, if you have coins for Coins for Missions, you can dig into your pockets to get those. And if you could raise your hand, if you're willing to, um, for me to give you a uh, card to send to our college crew, I'll pass those around at the same time. And in the choir, if one of y'all can come up to the choir when you're done too. And over here. All right, guys, for the children's sermon today, I wanted to talk about measuring. So I want you to think about things we use to measure. If you're going to make a cake, what are some tools you use to measure your ingredients? Like a teaspoon? I think that would come in handy. Is there one other thing you can think of? Measuring cups, absolutely. You also have to have the right pan size, and there's a whole bunch of math involved with cooking. So that's something we use to measure, like, ingredients. What if we were going to measure how tall something is, or how long something is, or how deep it is? What's a tool that we would use? A ruler. A ruler, exactly. Is there one other thing you can think of? Molly? A meter stick, yeah, so like tape measures and rulers and, and all of that. Then sometimes we measure time. What's something we use to measure time? Like a clock. Yeah, a clock comes in super handy sometimes. Can you think of one other thing we use to measure time? <laughs> 
Can you think? Think about it, a track meet. What's something people use? A stopwatch. Yeah, a stopwatch. So let me ask you now the big question. Tuesday is a holiday that we're going to celebrate called Valentine's Day, right? So I thought, you know what? This Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, I'm going to measure how much God loves me. So I'm going to use teaspoons and measuring cups, and I'm going to use rulers and meter sticks and a clock and a stopwatch. Do you think I'm going to be able to measure how much God loves me? His love is overwhelming, isn't it? Way bigger than we can measure here on earth. So I want you to keep that in mind this week. And on Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, as maybe you're giving some Valentines or getting some Valentines, I want you to remember that the ultimate Valentine is God's love for us. Okay? Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for loving us, and thank you for loving us so much that there's no way possible we could ever measure it. In Jesus' name, amen. And I will think that there, I didn't bring my bulletin up, but I think there's hymns for you guys to sing next. I'll let you go ahead and do that as I pass out some treats. Yes, it's hymn number 172, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And when we get to the end of the song, don't close your books. As we prepare to pray, will you sing that first verse a cappello? And if you know the parts, sing it. And just sing it to the Lord as we go before the throne of grace. Give us the first note, that F. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For
Oh Lord, you just spoke and the heavens were created. You breathed the word and all the stars were born. Let us all reverence you and let everyone stand in awe of you. For when you spoke, the world began. It appeared at your command. Gracious God, when we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, who are we that you are mindful of us? Human beings, that you care for us. You love us and we praise you for that love. We are here because of your love. Every blessing we have in life, every good thing we experience, the sun, the moon, the stars, our family, our friends, our church, our freedom, our country, its beauty, is all because of your love. So we ask your forgiveness when we have not loved as we ought. When we have joyfully received your love in our lives and then withheld it from the very ones you died for on the cross and withheld it, our love, for petty grievances or wounds or hurts that in our life we have inflicted upon others as well. Help us to live out the love we have received undeserved so that others may receive that love that they do not deserve, that they may turn to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to be a people of grace and mercy and love, a reflection of your holiness, we lift up to you for a moment of silence our private personal concerns. We pray for the Turkish and Syrian people who have suffered a grievous earthquake and destruction and loss of life and homes in the wintertime, no less. May the world be motivated to respond and help. We also pray for those who are experiencing a personal earthquake of loss or disease or isolation or abuse or mental illness or any other thing that can distract us from our need of you or that might make us doubt that you were good, but to this morning we affirm you are good and you're going to make all things right one day. I thank you so much, Lord, and we thank you because we are just still in our childhood in terms of prayer that you taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if our ushers will come forward for our morning offering.
Let us pray the prayer of dedication. These offerings belong to you, O Lord, for you are the source of every blessing and joy. Employ these gifts to build your realm. Send them into the world to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and reconcile us to one another. By our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, make your church a true instrument of peace. Amen. And you may be seated for the scripture lesson, which is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and go over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Thank you. I love the bells. They're beautiful. I believe I may have not given Charles a shout-out when I started. I don't, did I give Charles? Charles, you got two shout-outs. No. We're going to look at what, probably the most, other than John 3.16, the most famous passage in all of the Bible. Um, the love chapter. And we're going to look at that, but first we're going to have a moment of silent prayer where we can just um, concentrate on the Lord and ask the Lord uh, to speak to us through his word. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. Amen. I did a Google search yesterday on two words, love and hate. Do you know, you probably know this, I know all the young people know because they were born with computers, but you know, when you do a Google search, it tells you how many, how many hits come up. And so I did, uh, I typed in hate yesterday and I got 2.55 billion links. Now, they don't give them all at once, you know, it's page one, page two, all that. But 2.55 billion links on hate. Then I typed in love. Any guess on how much I got for love? Any guess? You can guess. You can just throw it out. You might just get it. Huh? Two billion? Eight billion. Do I hear more? <laughs> Do I hear more? 14.7 billion hits on love. And that's because in this world, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what religion you follow, no matter where you are, that is the main desire, draw, uh, is that people seeking love, knowing love, talking about love, singing about love. In fact, do you know how many uh, poems, songs have been recorded? I don't mean recorded on a uh, uh, record player. I mean record player. Uh, am I, excuse me, young people there. I go, this guy's so old. Record on, you know, your devices and stuff. But before recordings, just writing way back in antiquities, uh, the, the experts, archaeologists, and everybody else think that over a hundred million songs, poems have been written on love. Because it's so important. In fact, one of my favorite, you know, I like some country music, and Conway Twitty and uh, Loretta Lynn did a song, if you remember, a love song, it was called, You Are the Reason My Kids Are Ugly. <laughs> yeah, look it up on YouTube, it's a great song. That was a love song, so called. And there's a lot of songs like that. And there's some I could never even give you the title because even the title is too bad for that. Um, so why did Paul, in all the writings he did, why did Paul add this chapter in Corinthians? Well, you probably figured this out on Pastor Andy's last sermon because he preached from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a beehive of problems. I mean, you talk about a, a problem community. They had everything going on there, and most of it, not good. And uh, so Paul included in his letter this, this uh, whole chapter on love, and he puts it uh, after he's talking about the gifts and using your gifts, then he plants this right in the middle of it all. And uh, I've preached this, this passage, I've preached maybe in my long life five times. And the last time I preached it was last year at Evangelical United Methodist Church. I wish I had waited because I went back and I just restudied the whole thing. Because you think you know something, you've done it, you pray. And I went back and said, oh, I wish I, I would have waited, you know, preach this. Now at Evangelical, they had the old version. But uh, I, I discovered so many more things in this love chapter that I want to share. 
and trying to understand why Paul put it in there and why is love so important. We may think we know why why love is important, but Paul gives three uh, strong reasons why love is is the apex of the Christian faith, why it is the best version of ourselves, why it is so important. And if you, you have your the scripture, if you flip it over, if you were following, you could just draw a line after verse 3. Verses 1 to 3 is his first reason. And then verses 4 to 7 is his second reason why it's so important. And then verse 8 and following is the third. He lays it out very, very clearly. And the first point that Paul wants to make is, Love is critical because it is necessary. But how does he make the case that love is necessary? He had to have blown away the Corinthians when he read it, when he wrote this letter. Because you just think you're the Corinthian church, you've never seen this, and, and all this stuff's going on. You got people speaking in tongues, you have people using their gifts, you have people arguing about who they're following, all this stuff. And Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels. In other words, if you're the most eloquent speaker that ever existed, and on top of that you can speak more than one language, and maybe you even can speak in, in tongues, you can do all that, but have not, do not have love. And by the way, these are all verbs, so having love is not a possession. It's not something we have, it's something we do. It's a verb, it's active. So it's better in your mind, when you see it, do not have love, do not act lovingly, or do not act with love. If you have not love, he tells the Corinthians, you're just a symbol. I like symbols, but I don't like it attached to my Christian work, right? Or anything. Symbols. It's like a symbol. It's just wasted sound. It doesn't mean anything. And the Corinthians are saying, wow. Then he goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy, that is foretelling and foretelling that I am the best of all of it, and I can do all that, and I understand all mysteries. I understand mysteries that you don't understand. I understand. You, you, you might understand everything, like the, all the things I don't understand. I still don't know how that TV picture goes through the air and ends up on my TV. I really don't. I don't know how that works. Or you're on the phone, and, and words just travel through the air through a line, and you're talking on the phone. Or you see some complicated thing that's being created. We don't understand uh, so much that's, that's been created or that God has created, but if you understand and understand all mysteries and knowledge, you even have the faith to move mountains. That's a lot of faith, right? Move a mountain? That's a lot of faith. If you moved a mountain, you could get, I bet you could get a TV ministry. Couldn't you? If you moved a mountain, unless it was a mountain like a veil where they ski and they lose a lot of income from that, but you could move a mountain if you could do that. But don't do it with love. Paul says, it's nothing. And then he goes on, but if I give everything I own to the poor, and the verb he uses, just continually just going to meet it out to the poor, give all that out, give your money away, and give my body over to hardship. Now, some versions say to be burned, but really uh, over to hardship of any kind. And so that I can boast, but do not do it with love. I gain nothing. And so what Paul is saying in this, the necessity of love is that religious activity, how can I, religious activity that is not done in the context of love is a waste to us. Now, I will say this, that God uses all things. It may not be a waste to others. There's a lot of things that have been done, not in love, been done in, in, in bad motives, but God has used. But for us, the things we do that's not done in love is a waste. That's number one. Number two, why is love so important? Because it's a necessity. Without it, our Christian faith has no meaning. Secondly, it describes the model of real love. Our world is twisted. What our world thinks is love, what our world thinks is, 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 is love and meaning, but Paul gives the model for love. And it's a choice. It's not a feeling. They're all verbs. Um, I've spent my life spending a lot of time 
counseling people in the military and outside the military and other places. And I've dealt with, uh, was a mental health chaplain for a good while. And I've worked with a lot of people who were just, just severely impacted emotionally, spiritually, mentally because, uh, because they were not loved or someone who, who had a twisted view of love. Paul gives us the model for love. And it's quite amazing model. When you look at this, there are 15 verbs in that verses 4 to 7. 15 verbs. The first two are positive. Then there are 18 does not, is nots. He has eight, or excuse me, he's eight does not, is not verbs. That is love does not do this, or love is not that. Those are negative examples. And then he goes back to uh, five positives. I want us to spend a few seconds and, and look at each one because he starts out, he says, love is patient and kind. And he gives two aspects of love because love is passive and it's also active, is it not? One of the uh, 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 patience is a passive act of love. It's not active. Some of the greatest things we can do to love someone is to not do something or to not say something or to not act a certain way. Passive. Uh, patience. Love is patient. We withhold from doing something that if we did might be negative, destructive. And love is kind. That is active. And then he goes into five verbs, five things that apply just to the Corinthian church. You remember what was going on. All this fighting in the Corinthian church. He said, love does not envy. And this word used really is like rivalry. It's a rivalry. When we look at life as a rivalry, and sometimes uh, uh, social media, social media can make us kind of envious or feel like we're in rivals with somebody else. Uh, Paul, but Paul says, love does not envy, and it does not boast. That is, this word means windbag or braggart. It means an inordinate desire to call attention to oneself. Love does not do that. Love is not proud. That is puffed up. And I will say, and I can say this as a minister and a chaplain all my life, that I believe that one of the greatest professional risks of being a minister is pride. I believe that's one of the greatest professional risks. In fact, uh, I'll watch uh, sermons and talks on YouTube, and I saw part of a sermon yesterday. I don't know if the minister's famous. It doesn't matter. It's a, I'd never heard of the person, but he, he has a big church somewhere. I don't know where. And he travels a lot to speak. And the reason I know he travels a lot to speak because in his sermon that I saw on YouTube yesterday, he was berating his church because they did not reimburse him $220,000 in travel for the past year. He must be going first class to travel to speaking places where he's getting paid to speak. And he berated his church. I know, yikes, you want to cringe, but that's pride, but it, it, it's, a, it's a professional risk of chapel, uh, ministers, but it can, be a it can be a personal risk for any of us. And, and it's ugly, and, and love is not proud or puffed up, and then it is not rude. Now, I think in our version, the NIV, it says it is not, um, does not dishonor, does not dishonor others. And the reason Paul put this in, I would suspect, People were getting drunk at communion. How would you like to have come to communion last week and half the congregation was drunk before you even could take it? That, that's not nice, is it? That wouldn't be good. But people were getting drunk at communion. It was rude. It was dishonoring to other people. And Paul says, love is not rude. It's not self-seeking, which is self-explanatory. It's all about me. No, it isn't. And it's not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. How come everyone on TV is angry? I turn on sports and they're angry. You have people arguing on the sports talk show. You turn on the news, everyone's arguing. Everything is, is, is conflictual. Everything is confrontation. Everybody is angry. We live, it seems like, in an angry culture. But Paul says love is not easily angered. And let me just say this. 
Do you know how much power you or I give people when we choose to be offended? Think of that. When we choose to be offended, we are given somebody else tremendous power over our spirit. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong, and this is literally does not reckon evil, so just as Christ does not reckon our sins against us as we trust in Him, that we model that to others and we don't reckon other people's sin against them because God will get the final word, God will make the judgment. Now, as that famous saying goes, that's easier said than done. But I, I don't know a thing in life that is good that is not easier said than done because good things take effort or good things take work or grace or faith. And then Paul says, there's keeps no record of wrong but rejoices in the truth. God's character is reflected in God's people. And then he gets to the always, the four always, the four verb always. Love what? Always protects. Always protects. He has two present-oriented verbs and two uh, uh, future-oriented verbs. The first and fourth are present-oriented and the second and third are future. So he says love always protects that is present. What does that mean? Well, Paul's talking about love always protects the innocent, those with no voice, those who have nothing to give to us. God calls us when we love, we we need to see those who do not have a voice, those who cannot speak up. I've made it a point uh, when I've worked institutionally in the VA and other places that I tried to really connect with people that had the, the lowest paying jobs and the hardest jobs, like housekeeping in the hospital. That's a hard job. Or food service. Because a lot of times these people are just ignored. They're not doctors. They're not nurses. They can't do anything for you. Paul says love always protects. We are called to protect those who can't speak up for themselves. And then the future always trusts. And what is Paul talking about? That in the face of suffering, in the face of loss, in the face of pain, love still trusts. When we walk in faith with God, we still trust. Because God is faithful. And then the other future aspect, love always hopes in the face of difficulty. We, we live with the hope of redemption. We've been redeemed, but we're in the process of being redeemed. Think of that. We're redeemed, but we're in the process of it. And we live with the hope of redemption. And in the hope of redemption, everything will be perfect. And then love perseveres. Have you ever felt like quitting? <laughs> Something, I'm sure. I'm sure you felt like quitting. Sometimes in faith we feel like quitting. We feel like quitting at church. We feel like quitting prayer. Maybe we felt betrayed by somebody. Paul says, love perseveres. We keep on because God is faithful. So this is the model for love. And then the third thing Paul makes his point of, we should love because it's the only thing that lasts. Think of that. He says, love always succeeds. Well, he says, love never fails. Always succeeds. I mean, think of this. Think of the people who have had the most impact in your life. If you think back, you you may not remember anything they said. But you know what you will remember? You remember the relationship. You remember how nice they were. I remember when I went to Catholic school in high school. And... um, I remember the love of those nuns for me, especially because I was so obnoxious. I know you say, well, that doesn't surprise me. I know. I know that's what you're thinking. I was a new Christian. I got up in class and I gave a speech, beware of men in flowing robes. (laughs) I was 15 and I knew it all. Those precious nuns. They saw, who, they saw a fellow with a Jewish dad who was a fundamental Protestant in a Catholic school. I looked as out of place as a, you know, a frog in a sanctuary. And they knew, and they were gentle. And so I don't remember what they said, but I remember their love. 
and I remember their acceptance of me. And, and that's what, when we think of people had impact on us. That's what we remember because love always lasts. What do you want your legacy to be? What if it's this? She loved. He loved. What a legacy. Now Paul finishes up verses 9 to 13. And this is a great hope for us. Because when I look at this, and when you look at this uh, passage of Scripture, really, who does this? Who lives like this all the time? The, this, uh, the love, and I look and I say, well, oh, love is patient. Oh, no, it's patient, kind, no, no. Envy, proud. We all are like that sometimes. None of us live this passage all the time. Because we're fallen and we battle the nature that the Holy Spirit has overcome in our life. So we say, well, what is the hope? Paul says this. He said, we know in part and we prophesy in part. When completeness comes, that, uh, what is in part will disappear. And he talks about when I was a child, they talked like a child. And then he says, I reasoned, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He's not saying that we're childish, but we're in, a, we're, we're in different levels of spiritual maturity. And none of us live this out this chapter. You know that. All you have to do is talk to the person you live with. They say, hey, you don't always live this chapter out if you live here. Or your friends. None of us do, but God calls us to aspire. God calls us to live in obedience so that we, that our legacy will be He loved, she loved. Because He says in verse 12, we will it'll come to a point when it'll come to a point when uh, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We will we will know fully as we are fully known, and that will be a good thing, because someday when you and I come before God by the mercy of Jesus Christ, you're gonna find out how amazing you are. You're going to say, oh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made because sometimes we don't act amazing and sometimes we don't act loving and sometimes we don't act nice and sometimes we hate ourselves. But God says, you don't know yourself. I redeemed you. You've been created in my image and in redemption, we're going to see as God sees us and be known. How many are aware that Asbury University is having a revival right now? Have you heard that? Yes. What I mean by a revival, now that is my alma mater, it used to be Asbury College. 1970, the Holy Spirit moved in the university and they had an eight day, 24-7. People didn't leave, the, they were coming and going, the chapel was open. People repenting, people, God's Spirit moved. And they just had the 50-year anniversary of that. And it changed the school and it changed the town. It changed the country because uh, these the people went out other places, told their story. Last Wednesday in chapel, a routine chapel, it didn't end. People didn't leave. I don't know if you've ever been in a service that was so thick of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God when it happens. The Holy Spirit came into that sanctuary at Hughes Auditorium. And you can go on YouTube and you can look. Midnight, it's full of people. People are driving here. They're driving, they're driving uh, the Nazarene Church, sent a busload of Wesleyan Church. University of Kentucky, 50 students came just to be a part. People are driving from Georgia, other places, to be a part of this movement. It's still going on as of today. It's about 100 and 60, 100 and, I'm not good at math. However many hours from Wednesday to now, it's still going on. But what we found out two days ago that this revival has spread to Ohio Christian University. And, and that's in Circleville. I happen to know that because a dear friend's the president there. So Pam and I went. We drove. Because we couldn't get to Wilmore. We had responsibility. We drove to Ohio Christian University. I hadn't been there since 08. And we found the, where the students were. The students had been all night in the chapel. Now they were into the second day. There were students in there praying. We went in. We, we could, it was locked. We couldn't even get in. Then a cop came by. 
And he's like, oh, you went in, yeah. They, and, and revival had broken out there. We talked to students. And a student came up and they said, do you need anything? Or a, a professor said, yeah, will you pray for me? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, I want prayer. And I knelt down on that chair in that auditorium and Pam sat there with me. And they all laid hands on us and prayed. It was marvelous. Marvelous. Oh, the Spirit of God. But you know what I felt more than anything else? And they didn't know me from anybody. I mean, I told them I was. I was a minister, but you know what I felt? Thick love. Love. It was amazing. That revival was going on. And I just say that to say this. The only unimpeachable gift of the Holy Spirit is love. It can't be argued. <laughs> it, it can't be debated. A Holy Spirit-infused revival. Two things are always marked by that. A deep sense of love and a deep sense of repentance because of that love. It is just quite amazing. So if we want to impact our community, I know you do because I see all the things you do. We just need to pray and continue to pray that we'll be people of 1 Corinthians 13, people of love, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out what God has put in. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be people of love and to be an impact to those around us in the community. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may stand on the last hymn and, and I will say the altar is always free to pray. I, I forgot to mention it, pastoral prayer. Uh, you can always come to the altar to pray because the altar is a personal place. Uh, and, it's, and it's nobody business, nobody's business but God why you come to the altar. You may just want to praise, pray here because you love him so much or because you want to seek him whatever. Doesn't that matter to me if you come or not? But uh, if you want to come, it is always open. And we're going to sing uh, the last hymn, which is number 566. You'll know the tune. Maybe not. 566. Receive the benediction. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Go in love and peace. Amen. Amen.